from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. This month, for the F-word on fascism, organizers remember the role of the AFL-CIO in ushering in a fascist state that murdered Chilean union leaders. The AFL-CIO has basically helped to organize the overthrow of socialist and leftist governments around the world. Not just in Chile, we're talking about in Guatemala, we're talking about in Brazil, we're talking about in Argentina. These are our fellow human beings. These are our fellow workers. And Gerald Horn connects the dots between the U.S.-backed coup in Chile 50 years ago and the chickens coming home to roost today. The International Affairs Department of the AFL-CIO has a lot of explaining to do. For decades, and even to a degree today, it's been pursuing a harebrained policy of supporting anti-communist regimes abroad so that U.S. corporations could engage in what were called runaway shops, that is to say export jobs to these low-wage havens to the detriment of U.S. workers. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. First, some headlines. After decades of accepting concessions demanded by the big three automakers, the United Auto Workers went on strike Friday morning at midnight, capping weeks of negotiations during which workers demanded an end to two-tier wages, a 40% raise over four years, and restoration of cost-of-living adjustments which tie wages to inflation. The union is also demanding more protections for workers, including a safety net after plant closings, enhanced profit sharing, and a just transition to electric vehicle manufacturing, which includes union standards for workers in other countries manufacturing EV cars. The UAW cites as an example that the big three are building EV battery plants as quote-unquote joint ventures with South Korean tech firms. The strike is being called a stand-up strike with only selected plants named by UAW President Sean Fain to begin the strike. The GM Wentzville Assembly in Missouri, Local 2250, Stellantis Toledo Assembly in Ohio, Local 12, and the Ford Michigan Assembly Plant, Final Assembly and Paint Only, Local 900. Fain joined Ford workers on the picket line in Wayne, Michigan, where he spoke to reporters answering the claim by Ford management that the union's demands will bankrupt the company. So they waited till the last week to want to get down to business. Shame on them. And what they're saying is complete BS. You heard the CEO of Ford say that it would bankrupt them if they met your demands. What do you think of that? I think it's a joke. You know what? They could double our pay right now. The cost of labor that goes into a vehicle is 5% of the vehicle. They could double our wages and they could not raise the price of vehicles, they would still make billions of dollars. It's a lie like everything else that comes out of their mouth. The millionaire CEOs of GM, Ford, and Stellantis have gotten an average raise of 40% over past years, and the Big Three's shareholders are reaping the benefits of record profits. Auto workers are beginning this fight for better wages as Americans in general are facing grim economic reports. The U.S. Census Bureau released new data showing that the nation's child poverty rate more than doubled in 2022 compared to the previous year, thanks in large part to the failure to renew the child tax credit. The census also reported that 2022 was the third straight year 
in which Americans saw their living standards eroded by rising prices and pandemic disruptions. ExxonMobil Corporation is also drawing more scrutiny after previously unreported documents were just published on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, proving that ExxonMobil continued to work secretly to cast doubt on climate science, even after the company publicly acknowledged in 2006 the link between fossil fuel-driven greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. According to the article, the documents detail email exchanges between executives, board meeting conversations, and other company proceedings. During the same time, the company's scientists, quote, supported research that questioned the findings of mainstream climate science, end quote. Richard Wiles, president of the Center for Climate Integrity, said that the documents reported by the journal provide more evidence for the dozens of states, cities, and counties that are currently suing Exxon and other fossil fuel giants over their decades-long effort to deceive the public about climate change. In late July, a group of progressive U.S. senators led by Bernie Sanders of Vermont urged the Department of Justice to sue fossil fuel giants for violating federal racketeering laws, truth and advertising laws, and consumer protection laws. 35 indigenous leaders and allies were arrested by U.S. Park Police outside the White House on Tuesday, September 12th, as they joined hundreds of activists and allies in urging President Joe Biden to grant clemency for imprisoned Native American activist Leonard Peltier. Held on Peltier's 79th birthday, many activists traveled to the D.C. rally in a caravan that started on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Fawn Sharp, president of the National Congress of American Indians, Dallas Goldtooth, organizer and actor, Nick Tilson, president and CEO of Indian Collective, and Paul O'Brien, executive director of Amnesty International USA, were among the 35 arrested at the White House. Chauncey Peltier, Lenny Peltier's oldest son, spoke to Fort Fisher of News to Share. I'm 58 years old. My father's been wrongfully incarcerated 48 years of my life. Leonard Peltier represents the injustice that a lot of people have gone through. Uh, one of the biggest rights violation cases in history and one of the longest held political prisons in the United States. So that Leonard represents, Leonard's case reflects on all of that because it's such a big rights violation. And what I'm asking all you younger people to do is support Leonard and uh, the cause of freedom because he's a 78-year-old elder that's been wrongfully incarcerated all these years. And as his oldest son, uh, all I would like to do is see him to go home and spend time with our families. Even if I don't see him if he got out, he deserves to go home. Uh, he, he's poor health, poor health situations. And uh, he's still 79 years old in a maximum security prison. And as you see here, uh, uh, everybody's asking for President Biden to please release Leonard Peltier. Uh, we're asking for clemency for Leonard Peltier. And we're hoping President Biden will release Leonard Peltier. And if President Biden don't uh, do the right thing and release Leonard, I'm also asking everybody to support Leonard because next year he comes up for parole. And uh, Leonard, Leonard might not get another parole bird after this one. And uh, I want to quote what his attorney said, Kevin Sharp. Uh, when Leonard had his last parole board hearing, 
uh, one of the parole board guys stood up and said that he followed Leonard's case all these years and uh, he was supporting clemency for Leonard and before they could get the paperwork done by the next day they replaced him with somebody that wouldn't grant Leonard Peltier parole so that's if you google a lot of this and read up on it this is one of the biggest rights violation cases in history and so this reflects on everybody or all our rights all the veterans that went and fought for this country they didn't go fight for this country for the injustice that my father's getting all those veterans that never made it home didn't die for the injustice that's happening here to my father so many of veterans have been supporting my father over the years and they all support this a lot of them support this and uh, that's why i'm asking you guys please call the white house do what you can to support freedom for leonard Peltier. activists were arrested after the u.s secret service ordered activists to leave pennsylvania avenue and they engaged in civil disobedience and would not leave And finally, in culture and media, anti-war activists are sounding the alarm about the steady drumbeat of news articles in corporate media that discuss a future U.S. war with China as an undisputed fact. For example, just a simple online search yields these listings of recent articles on the first pages of results. From foreign policy, U.S. deterrence against China is dangerously outdated. Political says... Quote, the Pentagon is freaking out about a potential war with China. Fox Business says, quote, the U.S. is at the edge of war, end quote. And finally, Luke My Nation reports that Pastor Andy Oliver of the Allendale United Methodist Church in St. Petersburg, Florida, a predominantly white church, is offering his church as a space to teach an advanced placement African-American studies course rejected by the Florida Department of Education due to course content the DeSantis administration considers indoctrination. Meanwhile, 200 black churches in the state are taking steps to teach black history in part because of what faith leaders call the restricted and watered down versions schools must teach under the state's new policies. Instead, pastors equipped with a new black history toolkit are teaching unfiltered lessons during Sunday school, Bible study or as part of sermons. Faith in Florida, a coalition of churches advocating for social justice causes, created the online toolkit, which includes books, documentaries, and videos related to black history. Quote, we have a responsibility as a whole to make sure our history is not erased or watered down and that it is and that it be told, said Rhonda Thomas, executive director of Faith in Florida. She added, quote, it happened. It's history. End quote. And those are headlines and happenings. Up next, speaking out about the AFL-CIO involvement in the coup in Chile 50 years ago. Stay with us. The 
I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usa en su mente para revolución. Hey, I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usa en su mente para liberación. Hey yo, hey yo, my heroes are young lords adored and ready to go to war. In a society with racial anxiety, singing the blues of various hues and colors on the streets. People were killing each other, so they formed a coalition of brothers and sisters on a revolutionary mission. Now listen, they were fucking with no crooked ass politicians. They made their own decisions based solely on their proposition. They had a 13-point program and platform. They knew that organizing was an art form that they could transform from college students and dorms into a militant organization with uniforms. The newspapers read, Liberación or Muerte. Liberty or death to their last breath. Fighting for those that have less. So though we man stress, we still blessed. Stay I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usa en su mente para revolución. I'm inspired by the strength of the people. From the streets to the steeple, we all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. My name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm a member of the Pacific and Media Workers Guild and also a member of the Labor Education Project in AFL-CIO and the United Front Committee for Labor Party. And today is uh, September 11th, 2023, and the United States is talking about the attack on 9-11 and the destruction, the, the cost of lives uh, in the United States. However, uh, the U.S. government and, unfortunately, the AFL-CIO, which we're in front of today, was responsible for another 9-11, and that was in Chile on 1973, September the 11th, 1973. And we're here today to demand that the AFL-CIO be held accountable. People talk about accountability. Well, when you're involved in murder and coups and using U.S. funds in the name of the AFL-CIO, you have a responsibility to come clean. And that's why we're having this press conference today uh, in front of the AFL-CIO, because despite the fact government records have been released that the United States was directly involved, Kissinger, in overthrowing the government in Chile, doing the coup, the AFL-CIO is completely silent. In fact, their Solidarity Center has no information about what happened in Chile. This is the AFL-CIO government-funded Solidarity Center, which got $75 million from the National Endowment for Democracy. Now, when you look at democracy, people talk about democracy. Is the United States bringing democracy to the rest of the world? I doubt it. What the United States is bringing is 800 bases around the world. What the United States is bringing drones and dropping of bombs on people all over the world. What the United States is is bringing the IMF and the World Bank and privatization, austerity, deregulation, and union busting. And we're going to be delivering a letter later to the AFL-CIO uh, calling on them to be held accountable uh, to compensate the victims in Chile uh, of the deaths uh, for the murders and also to end this subsidy from the United States government for their international operations. Uh, I doubt the United States would be giving $75 million to the AFL-CIO if it was fighting multinationals in Mexico and around the world. Uh, that is not part of their agenda. So our first speaker is going to be Carol Lang, and she is a delegate to Professional Staff Congress, CUNY, in uh, New York, and has been active in fighting for international, real international labor solidarity. Welcome. Carol. Hi, I was wondering how to prepare for such an event 
but there's no way to prepare for the fact that 35,000 people in counting have been murdered by the Chilean Pinochet government with the endorsement of the AFL-CIO. Had the AFL-CIO not participated in this coup, this would not have happened. The fact is, is the AFL-CIO has basically helped to organize the overthrow of socialist and leftist governments around the world. Not just in Chile, we're talking about in Guatemala, we're talking about in Brazil, we're talking about in Argentina. These are our fellow human beings. These are our fellow workers. And without the support and the endorsement of the AFL, which takes millions of dollars in dues from workers who believe that we are doing good things for people around the world, that we are using that money to fight for the rights of American workers, when in fact that money is going to overthrow leftist governments all around the world. The situation will continue to decline. The environment will continue to decline. Wars that are impending between the United States and China will probably end up happening. The United States and Russia will probably happen with the endorsement of the AFL-CIO. The AFL-CIO has already endorsed Biden, who's talking about nuclear war. Biden, who sends nuclear-depleted uranium to Ukraine, who sends billions of dollars of weaponry so that the defense company can make billions of dollars while hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian and Russian workers are dying because for the, for the sake of U.S. capitalism. Where is the AFL on this? The AFL has said nothing about it. In fact, the AFL has supported the murderer, Joseph Biden, who will continue to degrade the planet will continue to part participate in wars that will murder millions of people. And so we in the pile believe that the AFL leadership has to be pushed out, that we need a leadership that's willing to defend workers, a leadership that's willing to defend workers not here, only here, but around the world. And the only way that's going to happen is when the AFL leadership changes and when we have a leadership that's willing to unite workers all around the world to fight for a society that's based on common needs, common demands, on socialism, and that will never happen because these people make millions of dollars a year. They're not willing to give up their position because they, if they give up their position, they materially will lose so much money. And therefore, we are hoping to create a mass movement, and we think that that will, is just on the horizon, given the conditions of American capitalism and the, the inevitability of depression and war. And what's that, once that happens, we need to develop a different kind of leadership that's really going to move the working class forward in the United States and internationally, because we don't have problems with workers in Russia. We don't have problems with worker in, workers in China. We have problems with our capitalist country. We have problems with our union leadership. And that's going to have to change if, this, if the world is not going to ultimately become extinct. Sir? Thank you.
So Lapayo Labor Education Project and the AFL-CIO uh, is the only organization that is organized around educating American workers uh, around the world of the AFL-CIO internationally. The AFL-CIO has operations through the Solidarity Center uh, in 62 countries around the world. Today uh, is the anniversary of the coup in Chile, but you're not going to hear a word from the Solidarity Center. Why is that? Uh, the Solidarity Center says it's for international solidarity. Why are they silent today, on September the 11th, on what the AFL-CIO did uh, in Chile? And the reason is they were complicit, and it involves the history uh, of the AFL-CIO and the CIA. They were intimately involved in the CIA. They were also intimately involved in a CIA-AFL-CIO attack on the Ford Assembly plant in Mexico on January 8, 1990, which gangsters, uh, 300 gangsters, attacked the Ford Assembly plant in Mexico City and injured many workers and killed Ford Assembly worker Clayto. And this coming January 8th will be in Mexico City to commemorate that because American workers do remember what happened in Mexico City. American workers re remember what happened in Chile. So our next speaker is going to be James Jordan, who is with the Alliance for Global Justice. They are also involved in education. And James just returned from Colombia, uh, where there's been there was a long occupation or encampment outside the U.S. Embassy, General Motors, to demand justice for GM injured workers. So welcome, James. Hi. Well, it's really good to be here, and I'm glad that we're gathered here, I think, to mark this occasion, to mark this uh, historic anniversary. It's historic when even a few people stand up and talk about what has been done, what has been going on in the name of labor, and the fact that international relations for U.S. labor, for the AFL-CIO, are not in the hands of workers. They're not only not funded by workers, I mean, the Solidarity Center as you know, it's 95% funded by the U.S. government. But not only is Solidarity Center not funded by workers, workers really have no say or no knowledge about the details of what it does. The policies, the relations are not set with input from workers. I urge anyone to just undertake the confusing, the full of pitfalls labor of trying to research what the Solidarity Center does. Just look into what it's been doing in Venezuela. It gets thousands, millions of dollars for work in Venezuela, but nobody knows what they're doing there. You can't find anything about it. No details in the NED website, no details in the Solidarity Center website. The latest information they have about Venezuela is from like 2014. But what is going on is the Solidarity Center, the U.S. government, is spending lots and lots and lots of money on humanitarian aid to help Venezuelan migrant workers who have been displaced, who have had to leave because of the sanctions and the blockade imposed by the U.S. government. The Bogota office in Colombia is responsible for operations in both Colombia and in Venezuela. And I just want to say that I think this is one of the bases of the Solidarity Center today. There is a real emphasis on helping Venezuelan migrant workers in other countries, in our allied countries. And one might consider this to be humanitarian aid, to be a good thing to help people who are in trouble. But that's not what it is at all. It is part and parcel of the blockade 
and the sanctions against Venezuela, against Cuba, against Nicaragua, against other countries throughout the hem hemisphere. It is taking care of the excess displacement in order to keep these blockades, these, this cruel regime of sanctions and blockades in place against the Venezuelan people, in place against Cuba. So what I'm saying is the Solidarity Center does a lot in the shadows, a lot in the shadows. But even when it is doing so-called good work, there's a price to pay. The good work of supporting Venezuelan migrant workers is the work of maintaining the sanctions and the blockades. The Solidarity Center, the AFLCO, workers everywhere should be leading the fight against these blockades, against these sanctions, rather than ameliorating. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Right now, the Solidarity Center is getting unprecedented funding from the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor has recently agreed to, or the Department of Labor, USAID, the State Department, have agreed to a program of putting, investing 120 to 130 million dollars in a new program called Empower. Empower. And it is through this program, for instance, that the Department of Labor has given $12 million for Solidarity Center activities in Brazil, Colombia, and Peru, and $10 million for activities in Mexico. So what this represents, this Empower, is the U.S. government, Argentina, South Africa, Kosatu Union, Spain, Germany, I believe there's one other country, Canada, Canada, together, are investing all of this money into labor, and it's the same story again. It's not, it is to support the right to organize, they say. It is also to support political advocacy and development of labor unions. Well, what kind of political advocacy is going to be dictated by the White House, by the State Department, by USAID? We know what kind. We're here today celebrating, not celebrating, but marking the 50th anniversary of what is typical of what the U.S. government does with the collusion of labor to undermine democracy, not to support it. So this is something we really need to be paying attention to in the next years as an empower and what is happening through the Solidarity Center again. But above all, we just need to bring what's happening into the light. The Solidarity Center and the AFL-CIO need to open their books on their activities past, present, and future, and we need to pay attention to this new huge and unprecedented influx of cash into labor coming through this empower system. Thank you. Thank you, James. And when we talk about money, there are a lot of people in the United States uh, who are angry about the fact that billions, trillions of dollars are going to military warfare around the world. In fact, uh, the Biden administration announced that they're going to give a billion dollars more to Ukraine. Now, I don't know where they're getting a billion dollars more for Ukraine. Was there a vote in Congress to provide another billion dollars to Ukraine? But apparently they don't have a billion dollars for the people of Hawaii who've been wiped out of Maui. Uh, what kind of crap is this? The United States Biden administration is going to give a billion dollars to Ukraine, but they can't take care of the people of Hawaii? Why is that? And I believe, and we believe, that because the United States government, the CIA, and the AFL-CIO, which supports the foreign policy of the United States government, are actually in favor of multinationals, the interests of U.S. 
multinationals around the world. That has been the role of the AFL-CIO when they support dictatorships. Uh, we also should recall there was just a, a coup in Peru. Uh, there was a coup in Bolivia. Where was the Solidarity Center protecting the democratic rights of workers in Peru and Bolivia? Completely silent. Uh, that is criminal. That's a cover-up. And we're demanding accountability. We're demanding that the, this AFL-CIO open its books so people can know where the hundred millions and millions of dollars that are going. And in Chile, they spent $40 million, which is a lot of money in 1973, to overthrow the government. Our next speaker is Lou Wolf. He's a longtime activist for international solidarity, and he's with the Covert Action Group, which has covered a lot of the role of the AFL-CIO and the CIA. Welcome, Lou. This is a very dark day. Fifty years ago today, some 35 to more thousand people were butchered in Santiago, Chile, in a coup when they were led into the famous soccer stadium there. And people nearby heard boom, 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 boom. They were all butchered there, as well as being tortured in the basement of the stadium. Now, this was by design. When Henry Kissinger said his own words, make the economy scream in Chile. Just think about that, please. And here's a man who's 100 years old today, who doesn't know the meaning of an apology or any any sense of, of truth. He stands very tall for everything he did, not only against Chile, but in Vietnam, in Laos, where I have lived and worked, in the, in the Philippines, and the list is very long. In some 40 or 50 countries where he applied his stewardship. Let me say here that uh, in our magazine, which was founded 44 years ago, we're still publishing, our website is covertactionmagazine.com. We interviewed a man, his name is Fred Landis. Fred Landis, still living today, uh, worked for the, or was a staff member of the S Church Committee, the Senate Intelligence, Senate and House Intelligence Committee, which was known as the Church Committee, under the leadership of Senator Frank Church. Fred Landis lived in Chile during the coup. In fact, he was a, a very major analyst and expert on the coup operations and on the media operations in Chile. In particular, he studied for years El Mercurio, which was the CIA-supported newspaper, daily newspaper in Chile, still today there today in Chile. When he left Chile, he managed to walk away with, I think, hundreds of copies of El Mercurio, and he wrote a lot about it. And part of what he documented was the fact that over the years of the Allende government, only three times during that period was Salvador Allende's photograph shown in El Mercurio. That, that was motivated by the CIA and by the Chilean fascists that came to power to pretend or to create a void around Salvador Allende, where his image could not be seen by the people who voted for him in a democratic 
election. How evil is that? It was not only in, in Chile with El Mercurio, in, in Jamaica. There's a newspaper there then and today called the Daily Cleaner. But in the case of El Mercurio and the Daily Cleaner, the CIA actually had a staff of people based in both first in Santiago, Chile, in, in the headquarters, in the very building of El Mercurio. My understanding is that they had at least two floors which was reserved for all CIA people. These were technicians, these were propaganda specialists. Well, the same thing was done in Jamaica, where the government of Michael Manley was also overthrown. He died of a natural, natural cause, but he was overthrown also. And when we talk about the CIA, we must understand that the CIA, and I've studied them a lot from outside, of course, they do the same thing over and over and over and over. Now, it's not the same in each place they conduct a coup in each country, but they integrate data from what's on the ground, what's happening at that moment. But their methodology is the same nearly every single time. But the CIA is known for allegedly only collecting intelligence. Well, let me inform you, if you didn't know it, that the CIA is a killing agency. And that's what they specialize in. Death squads. Military coup operations. And to say nothing of the fact that they are involved in, in the United States. Guess what? By their charter, they are prohibited from conducting operations in the United States of America. They conduct media operations here in Washington and throughout this country. What they are allowed to do is to recruit young people from colleges and universities. That's supposed to be it. But they are still involved in media operations in the United States. The last thing I'll say is that the, the fact that the CIA gets millions of dollars, in fact, their budget is secret, I mean, even the FBI budget is a public figure. Why is it the CIA is allowed to keep its budget secret? And that's because Congress, most members of Congress, are very friendly with the CIA, very supportive of the CIA. And in, a, in the Washington Post, there was a, an editorial supporting the coup in Chile at the time it happened. And there's an article in the Post today on the back page of the Washington Post, which shows a photograph of Salvador Allende's body being carried out from the La Moneda Palace, which was bombed by British Harrier planes. What I'm saying here is that the Washington Post is a accomplice to coups whenever they happen. Thank you. That last voice was Lewis Wolf, co-founder of Covert Action Magazine, and he was one of the speakers at a rally and press conference Monday, September 11th, 2023, in front of the AFL-CIO headquarters in Northwest D.C., just north of the White House. Those participating were protesting the involvement of the AFL-CIO in the bloody coup that overthrew the socialist government of Salvador Allende on September 11th, 1973. 
The rally was sponsored by the Labor Education Project on AFL-CIO International Operations, LAPEO, an international group not affiliated with the AFL-CIO and made up of labor activists, scholars, and journalists. Special thank you to Thomas O'Rourke, Steve Zeitzer, and Labor Video for their coverage. We'll link to LaPeo's website at onthegroundshow.org. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Stay with us. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you. Hey, I'm inspired by the strength of the people from the streets to the steeple. We all equal inspiration. Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente. Lo que usan su mente para liberación. Hey yo, hey yo. Estaba en un lado con la luz apagado desde el mar o así sus palabras están enterrados. Ves que la sangre de los incas, aztecas y mayas lo llevan much higher. Como Malcolm y Che Guevara, categorized together equals liberty over the weather before it started forever. Somos soldados, lo llaman no malo, pero solo queremos que los niños crezcan y entiendan su lesson. No sé qué hacen, ahora es el tiempo Yo no te miento, cuando completamos problemas muy graves Los convertimos a animales Oye amigo, ustedes no quieren problemas conmigo Uno solo hace lo que le da la gana Y quien gana cuando un parte de gana no tiene nada Repítalo, uno solo hace lo que le da la gana Y quien gana cuando la migra se lleva a mi hermana Uh, I'm inspired by the strength of the people From the streets to the steeple We all equal inspiration Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente Lo que usa su mente para revolución hey, I'm inspired by the strength of the people From the streets to the steeple We all equal inspiration Lo que me inspira es el poder de la gente Lo que usa su mente para liberación hey, yo, hey, yo. This is On the Ground OnTheGroundShow.org Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital I'm Esther Ivarum and for more national and international news, I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we have a slew of intersecting stories today. We are spending a good portion of our show today with speakers outside the AFL-CIO who were there to draw attention to the role of that organization in the coup against the socialist government of Salvador Allende in Chile 50 years ago on September 11th. So we have that labor issue. We have the UAW strike. We have updates on Ukraine. So I know that you were actually in Chile before the coup 50 years ago. So why don't we start there? You are correct. There's quite a young man like many others, I was captivated by the events in South America. I was not the only one. Recall that before the coup, September 11, 1973, President Fidel Castro Ruz of Cuba spent three weeks in Chile talking with the comrades, advising the comrades, etc. So obviously, I was in good company when I landed in the summer of 1973. 
My distinguishing memories of that trip so long ago include the fact that when we landed at the airport, the airport was blockaded by truckers. Now, we came to find out that these truckers, speaking of independent contractors as opposed to working class truckers, were in league with the coup plotters. And that particular detail came in handy some months ago when we saw and witnessed truckers in Ottawa, Canada, uh, blockading that particular uh, government. And as it turns out, uh, they were in league with Governor Abbott of Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida, believe it or not. Mm. And one of the takeaways from September 11th, 1973, which is why I'm so gratified to see that there have been protests at the AFL-CIO building, one of the takeaways is that if the United States government permits or in fact instigates fascism abroad, which is what befell Chile following that military coup, inevitably Mm -hmm. uh, chickens will come home to roost and it will lead to similar forces seeking to instigate fascism at home or, as in the example of the truckers in Ottawa, a fascism in nearby neighbors. I should also mention that another distinguishing memory of being there was the significant number of Haitian exiles. And we know that there were significant numbers of, or there are significant numbers of Haitian exiles in Brazil. But at that particular moment, they were also flocking to Chile, and I assume are still there. And likewise, we all recall how the Nixon administration and Henry Kissinger, the national security advisor slash secretary of state, said that they wanted to make the Chilean economy scream, which in fact they did. And that particular ghoulish approach has been exported to this very day to Cuba, to Venezuela, to Zimbabwe. But fortunately, it has backfired because it has helped to lead to the rise of an alternative system now encapsulated in the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, which are moving steadily towards de-dollarization, which is also moving steadily towards uh, defanging the poisonous World Bank and its national monetary fund dominated by the North Atlantic countries. And so we come to see that despite the suffering imposed upon Chile for a half century, there is still glimmers of sunshine that have emerged. And on that latter point, let me also mention that I also recall years after the Chilean fascist coup that the leader of that coup, uh, Augusto Pinochet, found himself in London and a Spanish magistrate issued a subpoena for him to be extradited to Spain because of depredations committed against Spanish nationals in Chile. Uh, That was a path-breaking, game-changing potential maneuver, the ability to have extradited a fascist, neo-fascist leader. I understand that it caused Henry Kissinger and George W. Bush to check with their travel agents before they decided (laughs) to make plans of traveling abroad. 
Now, unfortunately, he was not extradited because he said he was in bad health. Somehow, we saw these photos of him in a wheelchair. Uh, it's not necessarily an exaggeration to suggest that when he landed back in the airport in Santiago, Chile, he leaped out of the wheelchair and started breakdancing. And that's an exaggeration, but it does point up the folly of this idea that he was too ill to be extradited. But once again, the positive aspect is that the attempt to extradite him sent a message to the Henry Kissingers of the world and the George W. Bushes of the world. I was really struck that the mechanism that the AFL-CIO used to aid and abet the coup and then to really victimize so many actual workers in Chile was something that would later be called the Solidarity Center and be funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, that operation. And the idea that it was solidarity, basically not showing solidarity, and it hasn't shown solidarity with workers in Chile or in any of the other countries that it has operated. And uh, I couldn't help but think about, you know, colonialism, the colonialism between European countries in Africa and how European workers were so for so many decades or even you could say the past century been able to live a higher standard of living, own a car, uh, maybe have generous vacations or even maybe a vacation home while workers in Africa are living in misery and in poverty, uh, living on $2 a day. And similarly, if the AFL-CIO was supporting U.S. national corporations or international corporations uh, in their their effort to uh, subjugate labor in other countries in our hemisphere or steal their resources in countries like, you know, Bolivia, Peru, uh, Ecuador, Nicaragua, wherever, then similarly, I think that U.S. workers were reaping the benefits of the of these depredations by these corporations aided by the AFL-CIO. This system, you know, aided, you know, the United States and Europe. That's all I'm saying. Well, certainly the International Affairs Department of the AFL-CIO has a lot of explaining to do. For decades, and even to a degree today, it's been pursuing a harebrained policy of supporting anti-communist regimes abroad so that U.S. corporations could engage in what were called runaway shops, that is to say, export jobs to these low-wage havens to the detriment of U.S. workers. Right. But structurally, we need to recognize that that particular approach and policy flows inexorably from the structure of settler colonialism, the system that has been implanted in North America, whereby centuries ago, you had workers, principally in the first instance from England, then Britain, migrating to North America at the behest of the 1% in London in order to engage in the mutual ambition of expropriating the Native Americans of their land, and with a little bit of luck and a lot of pluck, they could then become wealthy from exploiting the unpaid labor of enslaved Africans. And this is a kind of class collaborationism, a concept we need to explore more frequently. 
particularly if we are to understand the F word, that is to say the rise of fascist and neo-fascist trends, because when we look at historical analogies, for example, Germany in the 1930s, we recognize that there was a kind of aristocracy of labor that perceived that they were benefiting from Berlin's looting and plundering of its neighbors, Poland in the first instance, but as far south and to the east as Bulgaria, and of course, Russia being the big enchilada. Yeah, so as I said, we need to explore more the concept of class collaborationism. Now, I know we don't have a lot of time today, but I know you want to give an update on Ukraine. Well, there's a remarkable interview by President Zelensky in The Economist, and one does not have to be an analyst of language to glean the insight that he's having his arm twisted with regard to his failed counteroffensive against Russia, and perhaps and possibly even to negotiating with Moscow. It's apparent from Secretary of State Blinken's trip to Ukraine some days ago that the United States may be in the process of moving the goalposts. That is to say, just as the late Senator from Vermont, George Aiken, during the Vietnam War, suggested the United States just leave that failed enterprise and declare victory. Well, that may be what's in store for Ukraine, where the United States and their sock puppet in Kiev will say that Moscow was prevented from gobbling up Ukraine, and therefore that was a victory, even though we know that the special military operation was driven by keeping Ukraine out of NATO, uh, protecting Russian speakers in the Donbass, denazification and demilitarization. But that sleight of hand may be what's in store. And there's another uh, tidbit that we need to talk about, which is that... One question about that strategy, though. That assumes that Russia will stop, right? That assumes that they will feel that their their aims or their goals have been met and also stop, right? <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I mean, I think that they may not stop if they feel that those four goals articulated have not been met. Right. But if somehow they feel that those goals have been met and there are assurances in writing this time that they will be met, uh, perhaps that will propel that U.S. Uh, sleight of hand. But the point I was going to mention is that uh, Ukraine is quite concerned about the thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of draft dodgers uh, who have fled to neighboring countries. And the neighboring countries, uh, for example, the Czech Republic, say that they will not return or extradite these draft dodgers. My question is, how many draft dodgers from Ukraine are in the United States of America? And is the U.S. government sending them back to a certain death on the battlefields of Ukraine? Hmm. Well, we'll see. That's, that's another aspect of the uh, Ukraine conflict to watch. By any chance, did you hear about the comments made by one of Zelensky's assistants calling the Indian governments, or I guess Indian leadership of uh, inferior intellectual capacity or something? I was like, wow, are you kidding me? 
There's a lot of disappointment, needless to say, in Ukraine about the fact that the, quote, global south, unquote, has not been exactly supportive of the Ukrainian position. And particularly, there's animosity towards India. I guess the Ukraine authorities are not aware of the longstanding ties between New Delhi and Moscow, stretching back to Indian independence in 1947. But... uh, We should also be alert to the fact that despite what I just said about the United States seeking an an authentic, quote, victory, unquote, in Ukraine, also just announced are the largest military maneuvers of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization led by the United States since World War II, which will be taking place in a few months, Uh, obviously targeting Moscow, which means that Uh, Washington is not altogether ready to surrender. And that certainly will be a challenge to peace forces on this side of the Atlantic. Well, and I think there were just some maneuvers, uh, large maneuvers in the Strait of Taiwan. So this military with 800 bases or a thousand bases around the world is very busy uh, on behalf of uh, U.S. imperialism. So I want to wind up going back to labor again the UAW, United Auto Workers, on strike at midnight Thursday, or you could say midnight Friday morning. And this is another game changer for the union movement here in the United States. We just had the Teamsters reach a settlement. And in this case, this is another huge union that Uh, can have a very big impact on the economy. I've heard some commentators say that the UPS and rail workers would have had a a much bigger, immediate, devastating impact on the economy and perhaps less or so for the UAW. But what are your thoughts? You are correct to underline the importance of what's happening with United Auto Workers, which historically has been a bellwether of the entire labor movement. Recall as well that In the 1960s, they were a bellwether and major financial supporter of the anti-Jim Crow movement, which obviously uh, was an enormous benefit for many of us. But I should also say that it's important as well because the United Auto Workers is confronting big capital. Many of the strikes and job actions that have been taking place in the United States, uh, for example, the job actions of teachers, for example, and the militant one-day strike that took place in Los Angeles in August 2023, where about 11,000 members of the Service Employees International Union uh, had a one-day job action in front of City Hall to put pressure on the negotiators. Overwhelmingly and disproportionately, the members of organized labor in the United States of America are government workers. The American Mm. Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, the Service Employees International Union, et cetera. And that underscores and underlines the importance of what the UAW is doing, what the actors and the screenwriters are doing, going up against big capital, that is to say, Disney, Amazon, Netflix. And it also helps us to highlight the toxic impact of what I guess I'll call scabs. I'm speaking of the talk show hosts. Drew Barrymore, who is going to resume her talk show. Bill Maher, who oftentimes poses as some sort of liberal. He's going to be resuming his show on HBO. And they're thumbing their nose at their writers, 
which are so mm. helpful in putting words in their mouths. So we should respond accordingly by boycotting both programs and as well encouraging our unions and our folks to join these writers and actors on the picket line. Well, everybody I know turned off Bill Maher years ago. <laughs> so anyone listening to this, still watching Bill Maher, don't, don't watch it. And I don't know anybody who watches Drew Barrymore's show. I didn't know she had a show. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, I don't know if that's an on-the-ground audience type of show. But in any case, uh, thank you for those tips. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, I'll just end this interview with another shout out to our comrades who were out in front of the AFL-CIO on September 11th here in D.C. and also who held a, a teach-in the day before on September 10th where they had many more speakers. Hopefully people can go to their uh, website uh, where people can check out if they're able to post video or anything else about their actions this year. So I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can contact us, work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain on the groundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. Or also link to all my shows on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Everum. That's I V like Victor, E R E M like Mary. You can also subscribe on our podcast. On the Ground with Esther Averam is on all your podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Our podcast, social media pages, and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. The music we play this hour was Inspiracion by Conrado Maluk. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.
you sweet time. 